0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Philly's Backstage. Tom Burgoyne, along
2: with my partner in crime. John Brazier, and we are in the middle of a snowstorm. We are here at P.J. Willihan's uh, having a couple cocktails, which uh, I guess I'm allowed to. There's no FCC violations with podcasts, right? No, we had to order food, which we <laughs> <Yes>. did. <laughs> Bag <laughs> of <the> chips. <laughs> exactly. So, But we are at P.J. Willihan's, another spot here we did last week, or two weeks ago with Billy Wagner. And now, who do we have, Tom? Yeah, you know, I tell you. Well, let's bring him right
0: on. He's you know, with the Phillies for eight years, sixteen years in the big leagues. Our good friend Randy Wolf. How you doing, Randy? I'm doing great, guys. I'm uh, I'm
3: recovering from the tired treads that have healed nicely ever since Frazier threw me under the bus with uh, Billy Wagner, but I'm uh, doing all right.
2: <laughs> oh, did did you? Just... Did you actually? I sent you the podcast. Did you hear it? Oh, I actually <laughs> listened to it. Yeah. uh, Wait, what was? You know, uh, how was throwing into the bus? I think everything on there was true except for (laughs) how, and it was. Oh yeah, you know what? You're right. right. It was my joke that you told. You're right. Yeah. Well, see, the one thing
3: I think Tom knows, and anybody who hangs around John Brazier long enough, is that you never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, what I love is how you totally (laughs) embellished whole like. Oh, but Randy's joke is way
2: more than appropriate. <laughs> i mean, absolutely well. I had to make myself look better. It's my podcast, correct? <laughs> well, you're afraid of you're afraid of Billy getting mad at you again. Exactly right. Because it took a month to recover from that, and you loved it. I just remember when we did that. I'm tell- you, when you told that joke, you had this impish look on your face, like I can't. I'm I'm throwing Brazier so far under the bus, and it worked because Billy walked away all pissed off. So there you go. <laughs> it
3: worked out perfectly
2: <laughs>
0: now randy uh, john said we're uh we're getting hit with a storm we're probably going to get at least a foot or so of snow where we are and uh i take it you're probably sitting by the pool sipping on a margarita or something right now in california No, i mean it
3: got it got rough today this morning um i had to put on a hoodie it got down into like the 60s today so i gotta <laughs> oh, i
2: had to you know really bundle up for a little bit you're killing us now are you still in the hollywood hills is that where you live
3: no, no, we moved. Um, we moved away from there because I got two little ones now, and uh, that house, unless they wore helmets most of the time, was just a uh, it was a it was a it was just a walking disaster for for two kids.
2: Now you bought that from Slash, I understand, correct?
3: I did, I did, yeah,
0: yeah, back in uh, 2000. Wait, are you
2: are you telling me Slash didn't have the house kid-proofed, <laughs>
0: child-proofed, <laughs> or, or his
2: own proof? <laughs>
3: He had it
0: um, uh, needle-proofed, but that's about it. <laughs> wow. So where are you now? Are you still uh, close to where you are? Uh, yeah, we just moved a little bit
3: north um, of Hollywood into like more of a suburb area, um, which is a great, like, awesome community for you know just the domesticated lifestyle that I live, in, and it's perfect for the kids, so it's just a lot better.
0: Nice. Well, you know, uh, thanks for joining us. We want to uh, talk a little bit about your career, Randy, and, uh, you know, your years with the Phillies. And, you know, when we think about your career, you know, you're kind of the quintessential California kid who had such great success um, playing baseball, you know, uh, growing up. You had a great uh, high school. John said, you know, uh, Randy was like the player of the, of the year, you know, uh, when you were in high school uh but this is what play i don't play the year in LA yeah yeah in the LA area which you know we were talking california right. i mean that's right. the Hot you bed. know it's a hotbed exactly but uh here's what i don't understand so you know you're this stud pitcher everybody knows randy wolf and then the los angeles dodgers come calling and they draft you and you know it's kind of be like me or you you know getting drafted by the Phillies and then saying no <laughs> no so uh tell us about how that went down and then uh, you know I know you went wound, wound up going to Pepperdine which you know is a pretty nice looking campus yeah, out there right? a right? campus yeah, out there yeah. so i can yeah, understand I, I guess i can understand why you might have uh, declined the Dodgers but uh still it's pretty cool when your your hometown team comes calling right
3: yeah it it was really cool uh to be drafted by the Dodgers um it was, a, it was a strange year. I had a, I had a really good year that year, but at the same time, my dad passed away that year. And I, I didn't, I guess people at that time, like they, I wouldn't say hired representation, but kind of had like an advisor that would help them out with uh, talking to teams and, and where you might go in the draft. And I didn't do that. And um, I committed to Pepperdine. And when, you, when you're in high school, when you're in college, when you're an amateur player and you might get drafted, you have these scout meetings, which are weird and, and awkward, and they don't really make much sense, but they try to get a feel for your signability. If, if you just definitely want to go sign and, and, and play professional baseball, if you're leaning towards going to college, and they try to gauge on how hard it's going to be to sign you, how draftable you are, and, and, and all those things. So I guess with the the passing of my, of my dad and the fact that I guess when I was, in meetings, I just, I didn't say, you know, I just want to go play pro ball. Um, I was drafted in the 25th round, which at that time was pretty late. I had a scholarship to Pepperdine. So I kind of knew that for me to, to not go play in college, um, I would probably need a pretty sizable signing bonus to lure me away. And when I was drafted in the 25th round, I, at that time, I thought it was a foregone conclusion. I was going to college as much as I, thought it would be great to play for the Dodgers or at least work my way up to the system. Um, I just thought it wasn't going to happen because I was drafted so late. And then um, about a month before I, I was going to go in, into college, they came with a pretty decent signing bonus offer. Uh, my mom and I talked about what probably where I would be to kind of take me away from going to Pepperdine. It was below that, but I was shocked that they were being as aggressive as they were. Um, at one like banquet dinner, Tommy Lasorda was the the speaker, you know, he tried to give me this recruitment speech and, um, I thought it was awesome. But, uh, at the same time, I didn't end up signing with the Dodgers and I, I was kind of, it was weird at that age. I was mature and immature all at once. I kind of knew that even though I would sign with the Dodgers, it's not like I would be playing in the big leagues with the Dodgers in a year or two. I knew it would be a long, long haul and, um, I wouldn't even know that's a guarantee to play for the Dodgers. And looking back, it was a great decision. I, I'm glad I went to college. I, Whenever I talk to kids, I, I always say, unless they're giving you a bank, go to college. You can't match that experience. Playing in the minor leagues is fun, but it's also grueling. You don't have that camaraderie that you have, that you have in college because everybody's just trying to, if they're in low A, they want to get to high A. If they're in high A, they want to get to double A. Uh, and you don't have that camaraderie that you do in in college baseball. And the experiences you have not only on the field but in the classroom and just growing as a human being and getting independent for the first time, it's, in my opinion, just to do that. It's much better to do that in a college environment.
2: And so in a sense, you're you're actually betting on yourself because you're saying, all right, 25th round in high school, uh, or if I go to Pepperdine, A, get the college experience, but also I can go from the 25th round to maybe second round where you ended up. I mean, you, you, you have to have confidence in yourself, right, that you're betting on yourself that it, your, your situation would be improved.
3: You have to. I mean, you, you, um, whenever you're a, a player with a scholarship going into, you know, a pretty good baseball program, you know, there's that pressure of you have to perform. You're there because they invested in you as much as a team would invest in you. And I think in order to get to that point and exceed and, and, and excel, and get better, you have to, have to have that stubborn belief in yourself um, that you are going to do well. And I think to to have the opposite opinion or opposite thoughts of not doing well, it's pretty, it's pretty detrimental to any kind of success.
2: So one of your signature pitches, at least in the major leagues, was your curveball. At what point, I guess two-part question, at what point did that curveball start to become, did you realize it's really good? And then the second part is, what age did you become? I always like to ask uh, athletes this question. What age did you become where you said, you know what, I could take this to the next level, whether that next level is college or pro? I mean, wh- where did you see yourself that, you know, wow, I'm a pretty good ball player?
3: Well, I mean, to tell you the truth, I honestly, at eight years old, was committed to I'm going to play in the big league.
2: Hmm.
3: Nice. Um, and, I mean, I think everybody should have a crazy goal like that and do everything they can to fulfill it. And, um, and I was decent as a, as a kid, and I just had this feeling I loved the game. I loved not only playing, but I loved to prepare. I loved going to the batting cage. I loved doing drills. And it was something I just really enjoyed doing. Um, and I really felt at a young age, not in an arrogant way, but I just felt I was going to do everything I could to do it. And, um, I was, pretty decent at hitting and playing outfield and pitching, but the real game changer for me was my junior year in high school. And when I started pitching, I think my first game, I threw a shutout and I just had a lot of success that my junior year of, of, uh, pitching in high school. And I didn't pitch before that. And I would get a few letters from colleges before I started pitching. And then after pitching, it was just night and day. Um, you know, it was, instead of getting a, a letter from Pomona Pitzer, which I'm not knocking them, all of a sudden I was getting letters from Stanford. And that to me was telling me that, okay, as much as I love hitting, that's probably not going to be where I'm going to go to the next level. And then, um, yeah, and, and then just playing at Pepperdine was, was, it was a kind of an emotional choice for me to pick that school, but um but it was a it was a great experience. I'm trying to remember the uh the other question I have. Oh yeah, my my curveball. My curveball was actually a a late developed pitch because I remember when I was teammates with Kurt Schilling, he would just wear me out about how I'm a one pitch pitcher. Hmm. Because I didn't throw very hard. I was a high 80s, occasionally I'd throw low 90s, but mainly a high 80s pitcher. I had kind of a I would say a funky delivery where Guys just kind of didn't pick up the ball very well. So I was able to get away with, especially early in my career, not really having a good secondary pitch or at least not consistent. And I had kind of a sneaky fastball, but, uh, in 2001, I watched this guy, Brian Bohannon pitch. He was, uh, you know, he was definitely the epitome of a crappy lefty. But I was watching him pitch in Colorado and he pitched all right against us, but he's the one that's real slow curve, real slow curve. And I thought I was pitching in Colorado, um, either that series or the, or, or soon. And I thought in order for me to try to get a curveball to break or at least throw it where I want to instead of trying to throw a hard curveball, why don't I to throw a soft curveball and just try to figure out where it's going? And that's really where my curveball developed. I remember the next bullpen, I just tried throwing slow curveballs. And uh, it just kind of got better, and I got more feel with that. And that just made my fastball more effective because my curveball was so slow. My not-so-fast fastball seemed faster.
0: Nice. And before you got drafted, though, just a, a question about Pepperdine, because I have to ask you, Andy. I remember I took, uh, <laughs> yeah. my, I took my family, uh, let's see, the Anaheim Angels, uh, L.A. Angels, Uh, Hosted the All Star Game and I brought the family uh, out to Southern California. This is our big family trip, like Clark Griswold, you know, to California, you know, and uh, we did the whole Southern California thing. We went up to, you know, Pacific Coast Highway. We get to Malibu and we're like, let's drive through the Pepperdine campus. And I remember talking about you because you're the only guy I knew went to Pepperdine. I'm like Randy Wolf. (laughs) I'm like Randy Wolf went here, guys. You know, I have three boys, and um, um, and then we're looking out from the campus out you know, on the, you're on a cliff and you're looking out to the, you know, the, the Pacific
2: Ocean. It's like, did you get any homework done? Yeah, I there, guess that's my question. Well, there's a restaurant <laughs> called jo- – it a place called Joffrey's, which is like set yeah, right, right, in yeah. the, right in the cliff? <laughs>
0: how
3: yeah, how great there, was
2: it? You know, it was
3: – there were so many great things about, about, uh, about being at Pepperdine. Um, I think the only thing – that i may have missed was that true like college college experience of like maybe going to like a ucla usc i mean there's no football team at pepperdine it's a smaller school i would say that my high school probably had as many people or more than the underclass at pepperdine Hmm. so that's one thing that that you lack but but as a result of that you get closer relationships you kind of get to know everybody and um it was just it was a great time and and as sad as it is, like you, you walk to class, and you're walking on Dorm Road, and you're walking to where the classrooms are, and you just have this amazing ocean view, and it's 72 degrees every day.
0: And at a certain point, you're like, oh, yeah, there's the
3: ocean. Pretty cool. <laughs> uh, wait, um, did, did
0: you surf, Randy?
3: Did you, did you surf? The, my surfing, I retired from surfing in high school because I was getting I – I used to go fish school once in a while with some friends. We'd go out to county line which is a pretty good surfing spot out there and um you know i just i wasn't a great surfer but i can hold my own and and i remember one day there was it was like a two three foot kind of break all day and then all of a sudden out of nowhere i was paddling out and this is where my kind of lack of experience kind of hurt me but all of a sudden like probably a four to seven foot swell came in and i didn't know whether to try to surf it or or duck dive it and i just got caught in between i thought okay i'm gonna try to ride this Get absolutely crushed, and it was like a constant smell. So every time, the first time I went down, I was disoriented, and I kept calm, which I was pretty happy about. And then all of a sudden, I started to swim towards the surface. My eyes were closed, and all my head hits the dirt. I'm like, "Oh, I'm swimming the wrong way here." A little bit of panic. I was able to go down, up. I push off the sand, come up to the water. As soon as I just come up to the water, take a deep breath. Bam, another wave just crushes me. Now I'm disoriented. I'm underwater. I didn't get a full breath. I'm panicked. And I, I'm working against myself. I get up to the water again. Bam, happens again. That happens four more times. Oh, man. After that, I kind of get pushed out. And I am just like just panicked. I, I just thought I was going to die. And now a riptide is taking me. Out and away from where we're supposed to go, there's a big line of rocks, uh, the counter line that, that's um, on the shore, and I'm being pushed to where if I were to try to come in, I'd be going into the rocks. Now I'm starting to panic. I have to try to swim, uh, which is north, away from the rocks to get back in, and I'm paddling exhausted as hard as I can, and I might be moving hmm. like two inches a second, and I'm just just dying. So finally, I, after like 30 minutes, I'm able to get to where the break is, where I, I get to the sand. The waves have calmed down a little bit, and I just kind of like belly flop my way into the sand, and I'm just spent. And uh, this was my senior year in high school. I knew I had a chance of getting drafted. I had a scholarship at Pepperdine, and I'm just, you know, I told myself, I like surfing. I don't <laughs> right. love surfing. Right. This is not something that I'm going to risk my life over. So that was it. I was done.
0: Smart All right. move.
2: All right. So then you get drafted. Yeah. You get T- drafted. Take up golf. <laughs> yeah, take up golf. You get, you get oh, dra- well,
3: let me tell you a golf story. You think golf's safe? A real quick story. Sorry, John. But, no. Uh, my, my brother and I, this was like four years ago. We golfed at this place called Moor Park Country Club. And uh, one of the holes, it's a, you're up really high. Like, I would say, I mean, man, I would say, Three to 500 feet above the hole. It's a par four. And it's a drivable par four because you're really up high. So I was up there. I hit it just off the green. And when you drive down the cart path, it's extremely steep with these really aggressive speed bumps. So every time you hit a speed bump, even if it's not going fast, your whole cart basically gets airborne. You feel like your golf clubs are going to fall off the cart. And on the bends of the road, because it's kind of, it S's on the way down so there are these big wood posts at the turn so you don't drive off. So as I was going down, I let my foot off the brake for a little bit. I picked up a little bit of speed, but I wasn't going too fast. I hit a bump. I got a little airborne. The brakes locked mid mid air. So as I was going down, I was skidding right towards these posts and I'm turning to the right. The <laughs> yes. cart's not doing anything. Wow. So finally, it catches and I pretty violently turn right. My most of my body starts to leave the cart, but I hold on to the steering wheel. <laughs> I'm approaching the I'm approaching these big posts and I'm finally able to pull my body in, except for one part of my body, my foot. My foot gets caught in between the big post and the golf cart and goes backwards. Oh
2: God. Did you break your foot? So
3: hold I I so I ride down the hill. I'm stooped over the steering wheel. I'm afraid to look down because I'm afraid that my foot is going to be facing the wrong way. Uh, so I get all the way down to the hill, and I'm, I just – I kind of tell myself, okay, wiggle your toe. I wiggle my toe. I can wiggle my toe. And now I'm like, okay, now I have to wiggle my foot. And I'm afraid when I wiggle my foot, I'm going to feel a crunch, crunch.
0: Yeah, right.
3: I, I do it. No crunch, crunch. I'm like, okay, uh, it's not broken. I don't think it's broken. All right, and now I'm going to try to get up and stand up. And my brother and his friends, they were golfing with me. They were in another cart. They didn't know what happened. They heard the golf cart and they saw me stooped over. They thought I hurt my shoulder. And then I get out of the golf cart just doing the Kirk Gibson limp. And I'm like, I think I broke my ankle, guys. <sighs> but I, they're like, oh, you, you could put a little weight on it. It shouldn't be broken. I'm like well, let me just see. I go up to my ball, I chip it, I make it, I kiss it for an eagle. <laughs> <laughs> an eagle! Oh my goodness! An eagle! And but I <laughs> I can't celebrate my. I mean, my now my like my cat is, is killing me, and uh, I try to see off in the next hole. It just yeah, I feel like somebody's sticking a knife in, in me, and then I go to the urgent care, which is right down the street. They took X-rays miraculously, it wasn't broken. But, man, the cankle I had that day was
2: off the chart. All right, so and golf and surfing, stay away chess, from. Chess, chess. Victor, chess. Uh, what else?
3: No, <laughs> no, I, I invested
2: in that Badman, awesome bubble. Uh, tiddly-winks. There
3: full-time, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, so you so get, yeah, Sorry, John. That's all right. No, so we, the getting into baseball, you get drafted, obviously, by the Fighting Phils. But here's what I find interesting. You spend eight years of the Phillies. Your first year was 1999. Team goes 77-85. 2000 was probably the worst year of my era since I started 1994, 65 and 97. But then we turn around. We turn around in a 21-game swing in 2001. And as far as I can tell, really the only off-season move we made was Paul Bird. Um, And so I want to get back to that. And then you go into like all the rest of the 2002, 3, 4, 5, 6. You're all in the '80s, and if there was actually two playoff teams, which I, I know MLB put that in 2012, if there was two ML or play, uh, play wild card teams, would be in. You'd be in twice, 2005, right. 2006. So the team was was pretty mm-hmm. good in that in that run that you were on. But I guess my, my one of my questions is, how did we go from like the worst year mm-hmm. to a 21 game swing? Uh, and again, Paul Bird, I think, was the only free agent. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. was it was it because Jimmy Rollins and all these guys are starting to get a little older and get that.
3: I think that helped out a ton. Uh, you know, having, I mean, one guy who's, I think he's gotten a, a, a little bit more credit um, as the years have gone on recently, you know, looking back that he deserves, but Ed Wade did an outstanding job of getting and developing talent and knowing kind of which guys to draft. <clears throat> I mean, you look at some of the guys that really contributed to those playoff and, and world series teams, you know, there's a lot of Ed Wade guys in there, um, and I think it was just, you know, a guy like Jimmy is a is a pretty dynamic player, and I think he uh, he did a ton for that team. Um, but it's you know it's it's strange how baseball is, and that and that's why I have a hard time with you know the 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 projection side of it. I think that in 2000 you know, I think a lot of things went really badly and then in 2001, a lot of things went really well. And also we had Bowie and, you know, we had the, uh, the stare of death if you didn't get a bunt down. And, um, you know, so there was a lot of contributing factors that I think that made that 2001 team better. And, um, but it's always hard to really just have like, the answer of like, this is the reason why, Right. right. um, you know, I just think that there was just a lot of things that happened. Guys were healthier. Uh, we just had a few little parts that were just, you know, that that helped that team. But um, and and you know, Birdie was was a great addition at the time. Um, so there's a few good things that I think that happened that year.
0: Nice. And uh, what what uh, do you remember from opening up Citizen Bank Park, Randy? You were the starting pitching uh, pitcher that that day. Uh, what do you what do we remember? And how excited the city was and you know, to be the guy to open up a new ballpark, <clears throat> you know, it's pretty cool.
2: So, Wolf ready for the first official pitch
1: at Citizens Bag Park. And it's a strike. Oh, you see all the flash bulbs going off from the cameras. Everybody wants a picture of that very first pitch. It was amazing. I just remember we were, we were worried if we were
3: going to get the game in. I remember it was a kind of a misty, rainy day. Um, and just didn't know if we're going to get the game in, which is, which is hard because, you know, there was so much excitement and, um, just really looking forward to that opening. And, you know, I, a lot of times when I, when I was starting a game, there wasn't many times where I was really nervous. I was, I had this, uh, just anxiousness, but that game I was, I was nervous. I, I, I wanted to do so well in the new stadium and kind of started off right. And, um, I didn't have one of my better games, and that was hard. But it was extremely exciting. I mean, if if you look back, that's that's still it's still such a beautiful, timeless stadium. Um, It's it really is. I mean, it's it's hard to believe that it's what going to be. It's the oldest.
2: It's the oldest ballpark in the National League East. That's insane. That is insane. Yeah,
3: it's insane. But if, if in my opinion, it's definitely the the most aesthetic. Um, I think as far as a fan, it, it's hard to get better than, than that park, especially, I think, compared to that division, it's, it's the best park in that division.
2: Yeah. All right, you also started a trend, Randy, in that you were the first player uh, probably ever to have your own fan group, the Wolfpack. yeah And then that spawned other uh, fan groups. <laughs> but, you know, tell us about what was that like when Pat Wood and his brothers and his cousins all came out. Uh, I'm not sure how many starts you had had until... Till they uh, they came out there in the left field, uh, but how cool was that? Tell us about that about uh, you and the Wolfpack.
1: It was
3: awesome. Um, it was my third start in the big leagues because my first start was against the Blue Jays at home, my second start was against the Padres in San Diego, and then my third start was against the Pirates at, at home, and they were there. And you know we weren't uh, we, we we weren't a perennial winning team, so. The vet was a huge stadium, and it's hard to fill, and you know our attendance wasn't great at that time, so you know when when uh, when it's not full, you can hear anything and uh, the Thompson out there yelling through his mask like with <laughs> reverberated through the whole stadium right. but whether he's saying he's wild or. Um, you know them doing the the howling and the chanting when when um, I struck somebody out but it's pretty amazing how quickly they were able to choreograph and kind of just get everything together the banner and it really I think it really made my experience in Philadelphia so positive because I think the Philly fans love what the 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 Wood and Thompsons did and and um it was just a positive thing, and and I think in result, I was treated really well by the fans. Um, and I think I, I was always thankful to them for just being good dudes, uh, just just a great group and treating me well, and I think it really helped my time in Philadelphia be really positive.
0: Do you remember uh, a game, Randy? I think it was just before the uh, All-Star game because I think all the pitchers were, like, available because we were going into the All-Star game, and, and you wound up coming into the game – and the, the guys, you know, you weren't supposed to start the game. So the Wood boys, you know, they, like, get, get their stuff and they beeline it, you know, down to the game, you know, because you were going to pitch a couple innings, like, mid-game. And they made it in time. And, you know, you, you see him running up the, you know,
2: this well, 700 Pat, level. Pat Wood on the night of his wedding. Yeah. He, went, yeah. he, yeah. Left, he left the wedding, right, to see your start. As, you know, uh,
3: th- those are the two instances where – If I didn't know them, it would be borderline psychopathic. But, (laughs) um, but yeah, I remember I I was, uh, it was right before it was, I think it was in 2000 and it was right before the all star break and uh, we're playing the, the Orioles in interleague and Tito was like, Hey, do you want to, let's get some things in and got me warming up. And I guess I don't know if it was Patrick or, or who it was saw me warming up. And they're like, we got to get to the vet. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. <laughs> so great. I mean,
3: there's no guarantee I'm getting in the game if right. I'm warming up. But they, they rallied the troops. They got there in time. Yeah. And that, to me, is insane, that they were able to do that. Um, and then another thing that they did, like you said, John, is, is that in between their wedding and the reception, <laughs> they went to the game. The fact that he's still married is unbelievable. <laughs> and, and has like eight kids. <laughs> oh, uh, they're gremlins. It's amazing. But um, <laughs> but the, they actually planned it out around the wedding around the start, my start. But <laughs> so we had a rain out and pushed me back a day. So I was pitching on their wedding day. That's so, so great. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. But I mean, they'll never forget that wedding, I guess.
2: Well, and you were also nice enough. Uh, I remember, in I think it was two thousand and two, uh, one of the original Wolfpack, Thomas Wood, uh, passed away. I was actually in a car accident following our home opener, and I know you went to the funeral, which is uh, awesome of you to do that. And so there was a tight, tight bond both ways.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine a, a tragedy like that. And um, you know, the one thing that that you know, I really took away from going to the funeral and getting to know them at that time and over the years was just how positive they were. You know, they had just a tragedy happen. And, and as, as sunk and as devastated they were, they just had this kind of positive attitude and outlook on things that to me was pretty cool. Was, um, there was no kind of self-pity or uh, it was just it was a family kind of picking each other up. And they are a large family that obviously got much larger, but um, it was just great to see that that this family was was so close and, and really got each other out of it. Um, and, you know, I felt embarrassed that they were th- so thankful that I went because I felt that that's, for me it was just paying my respects to that family and how they treated me. And it was just something I wanted to be in the back row and get out of there and just pay my respects. And I felt embarrassed that they came up and thanked me for coming um, because I just felt like that moment had nothing to do with me or that situation. It was all about what they were going through. Um, But uh, it was something that, uh, yeah, I, I I couldn't imagine that kind of tragedy. It's
0: horrible. Well, what a bond you had with them. And then, you know, what was interesting too is other fan groups started appearing and what, what was, like, the vibe in the in the clubhouse, Randy, as far as, you know, you had uh, Padilla's flatilla, you had Burl's Girls. Don't, had, don't do too many because it's part of the oh, quiz. Oh, oh, oh I, I won't say <laughs> it because I know you're going to get quizzed. Yes. But, but like, uh, like were the, <laughs> were the players into it, Randy? Like, were they a uh, the, yes. the t- total crack-up when they'd say it or what? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, all of them.
3: I mean, my name was no longer Randy or Wolfie. It was a wolf bat. <laughs> And, um, you know, I, I, you know, if after a good game or whatever, you know, I don't know if you remember what the Wolfpack did when I struck out, struck a guy out, they would have this, like, kind of like, um, kind of like an umpire ringing guy up and they'd kind of make it like a woof sound. And, um, so I just remember guys on the team after a game, I'd come in and everybody would be doing that Wolf dance. Thanks. Nice. So it was, it was a thing that definitely happened in the, in the clubhouse. Um, of, of them copying what the Wolfpack does up there, their dances and and all that stuff. So yeah, it definitely it definitely came down to the clubhouse too. Nice.
2: And you know, and you had your own bobblehead doll, uh, if you remember. It was the uh, the left arm had hair on it, like a yeah. werewolf. <laughs> Love and that the bobble. Funny thing is Penny Demuzio used to work in our uh, down in our giveaway area, and she would take all the phone calls from fans, whether yeah. they got a broken bobblehead doll or you know they had a complaint or they. they O2, uh, she got a phone call from somebody complaining that there was dirt on the <laughs> exactly. left arm. I remember that. <laughs> right, and they that had. Is a, so she funny. had to explain to the person that it's actually hair because it's, it's Randy Wolf, and it was like a wolf man That was so, a
0: Scott Brandreth, uh, I think, idea. You know, let's make his uh, arm look like a wolf.
2: Yeah. Do you have a copy of that bobblehead doll? Do you have a replica? Oh yeah. Nice.
3: Yeah, I do. I do. And there's also um, ma-
2: there's a wolf mask too. We did as a giveaway, right? Yeah. Wasn't yeah. there? A, we yeah. gave yeah. everyone yeah. in the fan, every fan, yes. a wolf mm-hmm. mask.
3: <laughs> yes, it had like a it was a wolf mask with like a red uh, Phillies helmet on it. Yes, yeah, and, that, and the bobblehead it's it's either people got it or they thought it was an error in, in making it, or they or they thought that I had some weird medical condition.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome, right. awesome. Moving on, moving on to music because I know you're a big music fan. Uh, we went to we, we were talking off air. We went to uh, Scott Rowland was a huge Dave Matthews fan. So we went to see Dave Matthews, when we went backstage afterward, correct? No, we I did not. Oh, okay. So I guess Scott is the only We one were back there. Scott loved
0: did. uh Dave Matthews. He was like yeah. biggest fan. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, I just remember we were uh we were in a suite at the Z when they played there. It was, it was uh, one of those summer steamy humid uh nights. And uh I think by the time the first song ended Scotty had his shirt off and was just, <laughs> he, was, he was dancing just like he was at Woodstock. It was amazing.
2: Now, did you have your shirt off when you went to Tool concerts? Or was that just Scott at Dave Matthews?
3: Just Scott at Dave Matthews. Yeah, you got to keep the shirt on at a Tool concert.
2: Are you still a Tool fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. Nice. Definitely. Any new bands coming yeah. into your world or just staying with Tool? You know, um, there are like some bands
3: that kind of like enter in here and there. Um, it's really hard. I think the music industry has changed so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are there. Are, I haven't heard many new artists where I'm like, oh man, these are the groups. You know, I think. Um, uh, I mean, there are groups that I've kind of like come around to really enjoy that are kind of different, obviously, than Tool. Like. I've become a huge fan of Florence and the Machine. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, let me see, like, I'll actually start listening to like more electronic music, like um, you ever heard of Justice? They're another French group, like mm-hmm. Daft Punk, kind of like that kind of vibe. So, but you, my, haven't, uh, you haven't
2: gone to the Grateful Dead and the, and Fish and Widespread Panic bands that Tom and I like, or Almond Brothers.
3: I can't get there. I can't get there. <laughs> we tried. And, We've tried. Uh, we tried over the years. You have. You have. And, I mean, there's there's some good songs. But, um, you know, there's yeah, times when when when, you, when you're when on, on XM and you're listening to these songs, you know, there's a part of me that's like, all right, wrap it up, guys. <laughs> wrap it up.
0: They go on a little bit, don't they? Yeah, it's a little too much noodling. Randy, do you remember I – mean, uh, uh, and, uh, going to Japan. I know we went over there together with the all-stars and, um, uh, what were, were your, what do you remember from that trip when uh, we went over there?
3: It was such a great experience. We, um, I just remember just how different it was and going into, um, just Tokyo and walking around the city and, and. How hard it was just to find a place to go get a drink. That was the, one of the most difficult things that I had. You know, you a lot of people don't know. I don't know. It may have changed, but this is, you know, back in the early 2000s. When you walked around downtown Tokyo, if you go to the place called Roppongi, which is more of like the, yeah, the night, night night nightlife district, you know. All you do is walk around and all you hear is massage, massage, massage. And you have these people coming up, these women coming up to you just want to give you a massage all the time. And then, you know, you try to go find like a, a place to just go have a few drinks. And then you, in Tokyo, it's not like you're on the bottom floor and you just walk into a place. You go into exactly. a building, you go into like the fifth floor, <laughs> the elevator opens. You don't know what you're getting into.
1: Right.
3: And, and most of the time you walk into this place and there's like a menu on the wall in Japanese with how much yen and it has like different girls on there (laughs) and you're like okay I'm not looking for this kind of spot and and the weird thing is it's not they're not like brothels the you know they're it's big there is to have these hostess bars where these women just Sit with you, they laugh at your jokes and they pour your drinks, and that's it. And they give
0: and Randy. And, they give you that little card that has English translation, so you can talk to them. You know, with like, hey, right. how are you? Yeah, yeah. Th- it's the weirdest yeah. thing. I Randy, I, I have to. You, you hit the nail on the head. I'll never forget. Uh, and I guess it was the trip we were over there with you. My brother Steve's with me. We went to Osaka, another city, not mm-hmm. Tokyo. And Osaka boasted the most number of places to you know restaurants, Bar is like the most number of places. So my brother Steve and I go down to, you know uh Osaka, you know, the center, the center city, guy. It. It's just a huge, huge city. And we're walking right. around, and we're walking around for like two hours, looking for like an like a TGI Fridays or something, though. No, just like a little, <laughs> just like an, an Irish pub or somewhere to go. And we we were getting an really... Irish pub in Japan. <laughs> we we just were looking for a place because you're right. They're all you got to go into a building, take an elevator. But we we just were having a hard time. So I'll never forget. We go up to this one place. This. uh Older, like uh, you know, uh, woman like answers the door. She brings us in, and we just had, uh, uh, what's what? What is it for? um, Kira, you know, what's the word for beer in Japan? I forget. But uh, we're like, yeah, beer, beer, yes, beer. So we sit down, and John, it's a it's a U-shaped bar, and behind the bar there's a little pond with like the like fish swimming around. You know, little you know, we we're thinking decoration, right? Well. Uh, she gets it. We have beer. My brother Steve and I finally, but now we're getting hungry. And there's a group of people come in. They sit down at this bar. They order something in Japanese. The, this old the lady grabs a, like a, harp, a, a, a harpoon, basically a stick with <laughs> a thing, and stabs two of the fish what? in this pond. The, the open part of the U of the bar is an open kitchen. Yeah. The, the, the fish is flopping on the counter. The, 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 the chef like literally chops up this fish in – in 15 seconds and serves it to this group you know, uh, sitting yet? next to it. And uh, I, I, it had just died. And so we, Steve and I are looking at this, and I'm trying to say, no, we want something cooked. I was going through the charades, like cooked, fire, hot. And finally, <laughs> you know, my brother Steve said tempura, and she understood that. I'm like, tempura? I'm like, Steve, I, you made me go through like a minute of, you know, charades. <laughs> what, what's tempura? He's like, it's fried. But, but trying to find a beer in Osaka, like one of the biggest cities in the world, was very difficult, Randy. I can, I can relate.
3: <laughs> yes it, it. i mean i'll tell a really quick story uh i remember uh me and scott schoenweiss went out on the town and we were just looking for a place to go and the one thing that i think you'll also attest to is that people are incredibly friendly in japan and they will try to help you out as best they can and a lot of them will speak some english a lot better than any japanese we know and me, me and Scott Shona, so we're looking for a place to go. And we go up, ask this one guy, you know, where is a regular bar? No hostess, regular bar. And he goes, oh. And he kind of told us in, in broken English, okay, you go here, you go left, you go here, and then you go right, and then that building up, third floor. We're like, okay. So, and he told me uh, us which, which door to go in. So, we go to this random building go up to the third floor and it kind of reminds me of like a dentist office actually. <laughs> so we go left to where the door is and open the door and there it is. These women come out, there's a menu on the wall. It's like the yen. I'm like, ah, no, not this. <laughs> so we are like, no, no, no. And we just turned around and walked out. As we're walking back to the elevator, the guy who helped us comes out of the elevator, looks at us, doesn't say hi, doesn't do anything, just he goes right and he goes to this other door. As he opens it, he opens the door. Through the door, we see like um, straw, like, you know, like a straw umbrellas. Like you would see like at a, like a tiki, we saw tiki lamps. We saw like lights strewn across the ceiling, like, you know, the red and blue and green lights. And then out of that door, you hear Bob Marley, don't worry about a thing. And I'm like, hmm. what? You found it. We go in. We go. Yeah, we go in there. It's a mix between Japanese, Australian, British. Uh, it's like this the the UN bar. Everybody there speaks English. The guy who owns it was basically he just reminded me of a spitting image and acted like Gregory Hines.
1: Hmm.
3: So it was like the most random, random thing ever. And we had an amazing time at that at that place. But it was like, how does anybody find this? <laughs> You right. know, I, just, I don't know how anybody finds anything there. Exactly. Randy, I got to tell
2: you real quick, and we told this before, but you have to hear the story because uh, the other trip that Tom's signed right now, but he loves the story. <laughs> the other trip he went on Japan without you, uh, Frank Kopenbarger, who's, who was the equipment manager for the Philadelphia Phillies, the clubhouse guy, uh, he was on the trip. So it's at the Tokyo Dome. And as you know, huge place, right? And what they, they would do, just like in the playoffs, uh, for the World Series, everyone would line up, and it would start with the the clubhouse manager would be the first one out there, and the trainer, and then, you know, strength and conditioning guy, blah, 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 then coaches and players, right? So Frank was the first one called out there of all the teams, so Frank had to run out there by himself in the middle of the Tokyo Dome, and he's wearing khakis, and he's wearing like a golf shirt, right? So he's standing there just, you know, by himself, Frank Gotenbarger, clubhouse manager, well, the Fanatic was out there in the in the outfield, just kind of roaming around, and he had a big super soaker. So he went up to Frank while he's standing by himself with khakis, light khakis, and he super soaked Frank <laughs> right in the crotch. So now Frank has to stand there for a good half an hour with a huge circle on his pants. And you know Frank's temper. He wasn't very happy at the Fanatic.
0: I am going to say there's no way that would have gone over well. No way with Frank. Frank. Totally. Uh, he was, he said, Tom, I'm, well, he was yelling, he was yelling at the Fanatic big time, Randy, and he, he, uh, he threatened uh, that on the way back from uh, Japan to the United States, he was going to dump the Fanatic out of the plane into the Pacific Ocean. So, <laughs> so hey, John's getting, oh, that's amazing. hey, Randy, John is getting very antsy over here. He loves giving these quizzes. Um, it's going to be about you. Well, he
2: heard the Billy Wagner, so he knows what's in store for him. A yeah, little that's bit, true. If he heard the very end. So, Randy, you I, ready, are you ready for your quiz? And this will wrap up a great I am. podcast. There's,
3: there's nothing fitting of uh, doing quizzes in a bar. For <laughs>
2: yes, exactly right. Uh, how many questions, John? So, with eight questions, as yep. always, as right? Always, yes. And they're all about you and they are multiple choice. So, you have a good chance of doing very well if you know yourself, if that you know thyself.
0: And if he gets it right, uh, free sushi for a year. Yeah, from you. Uh, six no, out. Nice. nice. Six out of eight. We'll take you eight. to get. We'll we but
2: will take you to get sushi next time you're in Philadelphia. <laughs> How about that?
3: Unfortunately, unfortunately it's just airport sushi. That's the sushi you get right here.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's a little nasty. All right, here we go. Your first question is, which of these celebrities we talked about Pepperdine University? Which of these celebrities did not go to Pepperdine? So I'm gonna name three people that went to Pepperdine. One person that did not. You got to tell me who that who did not. Okay, we got. Okay. Montel Jordan, who is, this is how we do it. Remember that song? Who's also cousins with uh, Kevin Jordan, your teammate. Uh, Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers, Tom Selleck or Nicole Kidman. So you got Montel Jordan, Flea, Tom Selleck or Nicole Kidman. One of those. Holy cow. One of those did not go to Pepperdine.
3: (laughs) Really? I knew knew Montel Jordan went to uh, Pepperdine. I know that for sure.
2: Yeah. Um. Oh, I, t- I did a tough one then right in the beginning. Usually, you, Man, that's, I mean, I'm going to have to say, now,
3: does going to like a graduate program? No, or no, I think, that they're, I think it's by?
2: undergraduate. I think it's undergraduate.
3: All right, well, I'm going to just go by deductive reasoning and just say, Nicole Kidman, because she's Australian, and was too busy doing BMX buying bandit
2: No, Nicole Kidman went to Pepperdine. Wow. It's Flea. Wow. Flea did not go to Pepperdine, as far as I know. I would. those three I went. mean, I don't... I don't think he went to high school.
0: So, I mean, that was another guess. Wow. I was with you there, Randy. I was thinking, "Ah, you know, Nicole from Australia. So – See, uh,
2: and I always do college and high school. But the problem – with, or not the problem. It's actually – Randy went to a high school in L.A., so there's tons of celebrities that go there. Yeah, yeah. So going to your high school, which is uh, El Camino Real, right, Charter High School, which of these celebrities did not go to El Camino Real Charter High School, okay? A is former NFL running back Jamal Anderson – B, Angela Moore, who's lead singer for the band Fishbone. C, comedian-actor Leslie Nielsen. Or D, Christopher Knight, who played Peter Brady on The Brady Bunch. So we got Jamal Anderson, the lead singer for Fishbone, Leslie Nielsen, or Peter Brady.
3: Without a doubt, because I know when the school opened, it could not be Leslie Nielsen.
2: (laughs) You are correct. I usually do someone from the Match Game 76, but you were too young for that. So, all right, number three. Number three, your first minor league team, I believe, was the Batavia Clippers. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay, Batavia Clippers in the New York Penn League, 1997. Which of these was not a teammate on the roster? Which of these was not a teammate on the <laughs> roster? Okay? You <laughs> right? So think back oh, to man, 1997. I'd, I want be that guy. Yeah, ready? Uh, yeah. Rusty McNamara, Jimmy Frush, yeah. Jeff Zawatsky, or Eddie Glover? Okay, so you got Rusty McNamara, Jimmy Frush, Jeff Sawatsky, or Eddie Glover? Oh, okay. Oh, uh, the third one. Uh, you, mean Glo- you mean Eddie Glover you mean Eddie Glover? No, 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 no. No, <laughs> no, no. no you, Say mean, yes. you mean Say Eddie Say yes Glover. to Eddie Glover. <laughs> it was Eddie Glover, and that's a tribute, Randy, to Eddie Glover, was a longtime employee of the Phillies, and he just passed away a couple of days ago. So this is my that was our way yeah. to honor. Eddie Glover. So, yep. uh, Eddie Glover was the answer. Jeff Zawatsky was your teammate, by the way. But we're going to we're gonna, yes, we are <laughs> gonna give it.
3: Yes. We're going to. Yes. I remember <laughs> it. Rusty. I remember Fresh. Man, that's. Maybe, maybe
2: Jeff would only had a cup of coffee with those guys. So, all right. We'll give that um, to you. All right. Sorry, two, two, sorry, <laughs> 2003, you were selected to the All Star game with the Phillies. How many wins did you have that year? 16, 11, 13, or 18?
3: That's easy. 16.
2: 16. All right. You're on a roll here. All right. This this should be one in a row. One in a row. No, I gave him two in a row. <laughs> oh, you did. All right. Oh, we yeah, talked yeah. about fan groups, right? Which of these, which Phillies player fan group is fake? Okay. There's uh, three that are real. One is fake. Uh, Padilla's Flotilla, Pratt's Frat, Persons People, Sal's Pals. Uh, repeat. Uh, repeat the four options again. Padilla's flotilla, Pratt's Frat, Person's that People, one. Pratt's Frat. Frat, that's correct. Frat. correct. I was, I was going to put Levy's little fan group because didn't you, didn't you mock Levy in a, in a commercial, I think, right? <laughs> Lee, this ballpark's going
0: to be so great for the
2: fans.
3: Yeah, there's your little band of Wolfpackers over there.
0: Yeah, where's Lieberthal's little fan group? Oh, wait, you don't have one, do you?
2: Get season tickets now and be on the priority list for the new ballpark. Choose your seats. Choose your plan. Call 215-463-5000.
3: I mean, it, just, it didn't stop at the commercial.
2: <laughs> yes, that's true. All right. good. right. You're on a real roll now. Number six. All right. This is, this is not multiple choices. You have to tell me the two answers to this. On August 11, 2004, you hit two home runs against the Colorado Rockies. Can you name the two pitchers you hit them off of? Oh man.
3: I remember the first one was off Jason Jennings.
2: Jason Jennings is correct. Uh the, initial, uh the initials are AB for the for the other one. Uh, it's a longer name, right? It, on, the, uh, on the on the The first name is uh think of the Garden of Eden. Okay, Adam. <laughs> yep.
3: Something. Starts Adam
2: with the, starts with the B.
3: Burder, bird. Yeah, well,
2: Adam Bernaro. <laughs> that right? Adam Bernaro. I think I heard that right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, I all did right. say it. Thank you. All right. I think my cell phone cut out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you have two more questions. Ready? Here is which is not a tool album. Okay, so three oh, of these come are. Come on, you got to cha- challenge me here. Come on, ready? Because uh, I'm going to pronounce, I'm going to mispronounce some of these because they're they're really brutal. Uh, <laughs> Salival. <laughs> I don't know if I said that right. Veer. Inoculum. Smell the glove. Veer inoculum. Or undertow. Say. So- <laughs> <laughs> well, since. All
3: of their albums only go up to 10 and not 11. It is not the (laughs) glove.
2: One of my all-time favorite movies. You're a big Spinal Tap fan, right, Tom? I love Spinal Tap. Yeah. Yes. And I got got to tell you, too, as an offshoot, um, as you know, I've met a lot of celebrities in my 28 years of the Phillies. The one celebrity I got most nervous about, it's always the most random person. Everyone else, you know, total cool, whether it's presidents or whomever. Christopher Guest and Michael McKean came to a game, and Christopher Guest, for some reason, just intimidated the hell out of me. Yeah, your knees were
0: like Jello, John. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) I guess I like
2: Spinal Tap better than anything else. So, all right, your last question. This is for the. Well, I think you've already uh, won a sushi dinner with us. If that's that's a win. Uh, But your eighth question, last question is: Your brother Jim. We didn't even talk about this. Is a major league umpire, which is so cool. Um, Yeah. And before we get into that question, was he? I'm imagine he was a good ball player as well, right? He was a,
3: uh, a good catcher, had a good arm, uh, wasn't a great hitter, and uh, he ran with a Steinway and Sons on his back. But um, was he faster he than Lee? <laughs> he ah
2: oh, man, I don't know. It may have been a, a tie for last there. Okay, all right. So, so your brother Jim's major league umpire, as I said. Uh, whose perfect game was it? When he was the home plate umpire, was it Matt Kane, Philip Umber, Felix Hernandez, or Dallas Braden? Dallas Braden. Bad. Dallas Braden was correct. And actually, I was looking at it. Your brother was a third base uh, ump when Ricky Henderson broke Ty Cobb's run scoring record. He was a second base mm-hmm. umpire for Armando Galarraga when he had that near perfect game uh, to the very end. Correct. And then he was also the home plate umpire when Jeter got his 3,000th hit. With the Tampa Raids. Did you know that, Tom? I did I know that. Yeah, off,
3: off, of, off of David Price, yeah. it so, has been around uh, a, lot of, a lot of cool moments.
2: So the last question was just with, with your brother being the umpire, obviously he couldn't be behind home plate when you were pitching. Um, but was there any scenario where he was involved in one of the key decisions when the Phillies were playing, you know, another opponent, and he, again, had, like, some role in a key decision?
3: I mean, I, I wouldn't say there was, like, a key decision in the game. I remember there was a close call. We were playing the Marlins, and, um, <clears throat> and I remember there was a close play at first, and he was able, still able to do our game. <clears throat> and the first baseman tagged the runner, and he called him safe. It was close. This is before replay. And I just remember um, – I think it was the pitcher Redmond – I don't know if it was Mark or Mike or whatever his name is, but um, <clears throat> he kind of made us think about it, like, oh, this isn't fair. He shouldn't be in that position to make those calls, and he could influence our whole season and this whole thing. So it was shortly after that that they moved Jim to where he could never do a series with any team I was playing with. So um, it was unfortunate, but I, I actually thought it was a good thing because it just took away any kind of – possible controversy that could happen and just alleviate any stress that might be there so I actually I thought it was good it was unfortunate I wouldn't be able to see my brother during the season but I thought it was a good thing ultimately.
0: yeah that's well that's uh it, yeah it, it, he was great and uh you got to tell Jim we said hello too I haven't seen him in a long time but uh got to ask you one last thing Randy and that's uh when you came back to Philly to kind of retire officially what was that night like for you
3: It was awesome.
0: It was so cool. Uh, you know, just seeing everybody again and, and
3: kind of catching up, um, with all the, all the guys there. And then, um, you guys didn't even mention this, but I threw out the first pitch and I had no idea who I was throwing to. I just threw to some random guy and then he ran up to the mountain, took off his mask and it was my brother. So my brother was there. Yeah. So my brother was able to catch the first, first pitch and it completely caught me off guard. And it was just awesome that he was there, and um, you know, it's just I've always had a, a family connection with a lot of people in in the Phillies organization, and and you guys both know that the Phillies historically have always been such a a family oriented organization. It's you know the mafia. You you, you don't get fired, you get whacked, <laughs> and you're there forever. Um, you know, it's 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 really cool. Uh, you know, just the way David Montgomery. Um, really kind of ran things was, was awesome. He's just, he was such a genuinely nice person and want, he was very loyal and wanted the people that basically were there from the beginning to be there till the end. And, and, you know, from the time I got called up in 99 and then, you know, retiring as a Philly, you know, almost 20 years later to see all the same people um, kind of in different roles, but still being there is pretty cool to see. It doesn't happen anywhere else, considering that I've played for quite a few teams. That kind of stuff just doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, awesome, Randy. Well, uh, it's been great. John and I have been doing this podcast now for a couple years, and one of the best things is sometimes we get a chance to you know, catch up with old friends. So uh, it was really great you could join us uh, today. Enjoy that warm weather in California while we snowmobile (laughs) (laughs) home. Right, exactly. We're we're gassing up the snowmobiles. (laughs) But it was great great having you, Randy. You sound great. Yeah, thanks, Randy.
3: Yeah, it was my pleasure, guys. Always great talking to you. All
2: All right. Take care. Take care. Randy Wolf. How about it, John? One of my all-time favorites. I know I I say that, but obviously the reason why we pick certain guys is we were both very close to him, so it makes that interview go so quick. And, again, Randy, one of the great, great guys. And I feel like I came up with him because I was kind of young at that time you know, when when he was uh, coming up with the Phillies.
0: Yeah, and he was really highly touted. You know, we didn't get into it too much. But, uh, you know, when he came up, he was – I remember there was an article comparing him to Whitey Ford, you know, short, kind of short. You know, it's funny. He's listed at six foot. I was going to ask him. He's listed at six foot. He's not six foot, you know. Um, But – you know, he, he had talent, you know, he kind of, it's why it, it is funny when you hear the Wolf Pack yep. was there like his third game because he was, um, you know, kind of the, the golden boy, you know, coming up and uh, had a great career with the Phillies. So great to talk to Randy and great to be here. I mean, P.J. Williams, John, they've been treating us well here.
2: Yep. Thanks to Allie, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Allie and uh, it's Tim. great. Yeah, really, really great that they uh, they let us crash here and uh, do our podcast. I so. think we're
2: going to be here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, after Christmas on the thirtieth, I believe Wednesday the thirtieth. Yep, uh, we have a surprise guest. We which, do, which means <laughs> I don't know yeah, who it exactly is it. <laughs> who's the surprise. It's a surprise to both of us. We are working on a good, uh, a very good. It'll be a good guest. Good Sounds guest. good,
0: John. Always a pleasure and a safe tra- uh, getting back home. All, all right. right, thanks. And uh, we'll see everybody next time. Thanks for tuning in.